Katie James, and this is the Midwives Cauldron Podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Dr. Rachel Reed. Listen in as we hubble, bubble, toil and trouble our way through aspects of womanhood, midwifery, birth and lactation. So go on, subscribe now and hear us on your favorite podcast host. Hello and we are back. It's season four and to kick us off you have me and Rachel chewing the fat on all things breastfeeding and lactation. We delve in to find out what is going on with in-hospital formula supplementation, why the rates are so high and its impact on breastfeeding and lactation physiology. We talk about teat and bottle confusion, the best ways to give extra feeds and the medical reasoning for this. We talk about the top-up trap, or as Rachel has termed it, the top-up crap trap, which is easy to fall into once back at home. Rachel also gives us an amazing impression of a baby sleeping. Please don't miss this. It is a real treat for the ears. And following us along the way is the spring cicadas and guinea fowl galore down at Farm Rachel in Queensland. So the waiting is over, folks. We're back. And we're ready to fill your luggles with all those golden nuggets you've been missing. So I'll stop nattering and let you get on with listening to the show. Recording in progress. Oh, good. I'm glad we can start. Rachel Reed, welcome back. It's Katie season four. James. Katie James, we're in the cauldron again, together, season four. And I'm sweating because it's sweating so as hot, always, bubbling away here. <laughs> She's wiggling up. Well, I am in the summer. I'm either sweating or I'm bloody freezing. There's like no in between. I know. I'm actually quite cold. I should have bought my hot water bottle up, but I thought I'd have a hot flush. Might have to just put me dungarees fully up. <laughs> we are back. We are um, here, and we are talking about top-ups with me katie james today reals not mobile phone top-ups. no not mobile phone top-ups i've got a subscription it's all right lucky me <laughs> um how's your break been you've been busy with your courses busy yeah any collective any collective going i need to come yeah. in and have a listen actually i haven't yet i've been a bit lazy it's not lazy i've been a bit busy but i'm coming in Come in and say I'm hello. Nervous to say hello. Don't be silly. You can record your little introduction. Tell us all about yourself. Oh, not sure about that. I saw that you were like people. Are... It's very exciting. There's midwives from all over the world. Doulas from all over the world. Like really interesting people doing amazing things. So you know, and you get all you get all like negative and like, oh, it's just negative. Yeah. And it's not. There's amazing people out there doing amazing things in their own spheres of influence brilliant that yeah i need to get in and get a um a little buzz from that i love it when i receive messages like that in the cauldron instagram and it's just like oh god that's made me feel really good knowing that this is going on out there and this works that's being done these awesome practitioners and support people it's just that 
so vital. What's the word I'm looking for? Not valid or viable. So vital. <laughs> Good stuff. Yes. Brilliant. Here we go. One word, four letters. <laughs> Stop. So the V hasn't got four letters, has it? It's got five letters. We've gone to countdown now. I don't know if countdown still happens with that woman who is very clever. Um, used to turn the, the letters yeah. over. Consonants or vowels. It's the math stuff that also got me. I mean, I couldn't do any of it. I just like the music. I was like, oh, no, I haven't even got what, three letter words. Oh, my God, you know the whole thing. That's brilliant. You should just do that when you think I'm waffling off too much. Start that and I've got a countdown to finish what I'm wrapping up, Katie. Not like the Oscars music. I get countdown music. <gasps> it's not called countdown in Australia, though, is it? Right, I'll do it. Call something else. Words and numbers. I don't know. I, don't, well, I haven't got a TV in Australia. <laughs> well, that's wise, really. What's on it? Oh, it probably offended people there now. I don't know what's on it. Right. Should we Should we talk about stuff we do know rather than stuff we don't? <laughs> Yeah, That's let's a different talk about podcast. Some you know. And uh, tell us what top ups you are talking about. Then, if we're not talking about mobile right. phones, well, I'm talking about the top ups for um, women and their babies who are who have chosen to breastfeed. A supplementary feed would consider it to be anything that's liquid, so that would be formula, as we know, but also water or glucose solutions. So that's in the realm. So that's considered. Because when you say supplementary feeding, I just assume you mean formula yes. or express breast yes. milk. Does that Yes, count? that is also a supplementary feed. Absolutely. So um, when it's when we're talking about supplementary feeds, it can also include water and glucose solution because this can also have an impact on the feeding. So what we're looking at today is top up feeds or supplementary feeds and their impact on breastfeeding. So when, why would you be giving water? There isn't really a good reason to be giving um, water, um, but it is done. It's often done for the hungry baby in quotes when uh, perhaps formula is not in the guideline or allowed to be used. And there, well, there isn't any reason to be using it. However, water is and has been in the past given and is still in some hospitals and countries given instead of formula to fill the baby up with quantity, volume. But this is definitely not a good idea. I can't remember. You used to be able to buy little bottled water with teats on for newborn babies for when it was hot yes. in the And UK. absolutely not indicated. If they're breastfeeding and they're weeing and pooing normally and everything else is normal, breast milk is mostly made of water. So, you know... Babies are born from the Sahara to uh, Greenland with all a variety of temperatures and we just feed them breast milk and they're totally fine. Unless there's any other kind of compromising influences mm. that are going on, there is no need for water to be added to a breastfed baby's diet. And particularly not in those first few days, because what you're going to do is then just kind of stretch the stomach, um, maybe fill the baby up for a couple of hours extra the baby then doesn't feed as often and we also have risk factors of um, increasing chances of jaundice when we do things like this so hopefully water supplements Mm. are not being given however we know that they are globally in different parts of the world still being used and so when we look at the guidelines 
and the research. It includes glucose solutions, water formula as a supplementary feed. So when in so in a hospital setting, when do the guidelines advise to give supplementary feed? There are definitely medically indicated reasons. So um that's we have medically indicated reasons and most of the guidelines will look at obviously the medical indicated reasons for the baby and for the mum. So if we have low birth weight babies, they may indicate and that's the this is the absolute word that we need to listen to. It may indicate that they need a supplementary feed. And like you said at the beginning, a top up feed or a supplementary an additional feed could be the mother's expressed breast milk. So that mm. is always going to yep. be breastfeed and then express breast milk is going to be the first go to. However, if we have a baby who's preterm, low birth weight, um, they may need some additional. They're much more likely to need some additional feeds or additional fluid, I should say, than they can get from breastfeeding because they're tired at the breast. They don't feed as efficiently as a full term healthy baby. Can they use um donor milk yeah, absolutely they could use donor milk as well but the opportunity for using donor milk is not that great when we're thinking about the maternity setting so when we go into the NICU with the very low birth weight babies so babies and that mm. depends on the donor milk banks how much they've got so if they've only got a small amount for their hospital or the regional hospitals they might say we just use this for babies under 29 weeks 30 weeks if they've got a good supply they might use it up to 34 weeks but there's not a huge amount of milk banks using that however that's another podcast in itself okay. that actually we should do about the differences in donor milk and what that potentially does for the expressing and going forward with that mm. yes because that really interests me and i think it's something we really don't talk about <laughs> But yes, donor milk is absolutely available, but it tends to be for the very preterm, very sick infants who are in the neonatal intensive care unit. If I'm thinking about supplemental feeding, what we're talking about here is mostly on the maternity ward. So it might be those babies who are born under 36 weeks, so it's 35 weeks, a late preterm, 35 plus four or 36 plus two. We know that these babies probably are not going to be feeding really quite efficiently on the breast at this point in time so they're likely to need express breast milk and the abm the academy of breastfeeding medicine guidelines support that as well as does the research other incidences would be you know at risk of hypoglycemia and then again that's a a may we have dextrose gel we've talked about that mm. in the past so we don't need to use formula or um water or glucose water we may be using dextrose in an iv but that's also um, we've gone down the intravenous route then and different. The other thing is that with hypoglycemia, we should be doing true blood glucose measurements, not the bedside measurement. But in practice, mostly we're using. What do you mean true? So this is when it gets sent to the lab. True blood. It's true blood. That's a vampire film. Oh, my God. Do you remember that? That was a series. True blood. Yeah. You got me on. They all that. got a bit silly. Got well silly. silly. Yeah, it was really good. And then it got it got yeah. silly. Stopped watching it. Yep. I don't think I could watch the last season. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. It was no. really good. No, it's yeah. not. God, I forgot about that. I think some some series don't know when to just stop. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Stop when it's good. 
And then it leaves you going, oh, that yeah. was so good. But don't leave me with a massive cliffhanger because that's just mean. Anyway, true blood. True blood. True blood glucose measurement. True blood glucose testing. Is if you send it to the laboratory, the lab, not just the bedside click and have a look because yeah. they're not accurate enough at these low levels. We talked about this in our diabetes mm. episodes as well. Um, the other thing is if we're looking at excessive weight loss, so normally around over 10%, again, that may indicate the need for supplementation. We have to look at all the other factors. This is a whole podcast on weight loss. Um, and if we look at the mother and the reasons, if she's got severe illness, so she's got sepsis or she has severe mental health issues, um, if she's unable to care for her infant at that point because of her, where she is, um, and also there's certain medications but most medications are absolutely fine with breastfeeding. About 99% are fine. Mm. However, there are some really specific ones. And where possible, it would be using an alternative medication and also discussing that throughout the pregnancy or early on in the pregnancy, if possible. What is interesting is that this is most of the current guidelines of how they use it for BFHI. Um but the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine looks at possible indications for supplementation in the healthy term infant. And what I like is that they bring up about delayed bowel movements as well. So fewer than four poos on day four of life or continued meconium stools on day five, 120 hours. And I think that's really important, which often you don't see in a lot of guidelines, because this is a real alarm bell that that baby is not taking in enough food because it's not coming out we should be seeing those changes mm. that alert us that this is a healthy baby so what if it's had a massive big poop when it was born it should still be have had this sort of progression by day five 120 hours it mm. should have this mother should have had a colostrum and then now her breast milk is in the transitional phase. She's got much larger volumes of milk. Yep. That baby should be ingesting that milk and metabolizing it, utilizing it, and then passing, have passed the meconium, have passed the sort of brown, yellowy stage, and then be having proper stools by day five. That's an absolute alarm bell for me. So if I do a telephone consult, and we used to do a lot of them because we didn't have postnatal home visits and you're always asking about output day four and there is you know mm. meconium or there's not yellow poo or there's no poos is a is an alarm bell for me again mm. it doesn't mean that baby needs a formula top up the obvious choice is that we we look at what's going on maybe there's an oral anatomy issue with this infant and can't actually drain the milk from the breast properly um and so actually that's a case of getting the mum to express but it, it is a yeah, so you've got to look at the whole holistic situation. Yeah, like we do with everything. Yeah. Um, and also, well, we but need... we don't though. This is a problem: is people don't like nuance. They're like, if this, then do that. Well, yeah, like these are potential indications. Who reads the potential or the may mm. need this? It's like yeah. if you look at jaundice. Jaundice alone doesn't is not an absolute indicator for formula. Um, the other thing with the ABM is it talks also about delayed secretory activation. So a delay in when the milk volume increases or the milk comes in. And they look at that on day three to five or later. So 72 to 120 hours and inadequate 
intake by the infant again bringing those two together what's happening with the, mm. the breasts in terms of volume output what's happening with the infant in terms of their output as well um and the abm mentions primary glandular insufficiency which is really interesting so this is looking at um when the breasts have not fully developed so there are some women who will have certain reasons for an insufficient amount of glandular tissue so the tissue the mammary gland that actually makes the milk um, this is becoming more specific when we look at lactation consultancy and there's certain types of breast shape size um, dynamics um, and changes that have happened that we will look at for certain women that will show us that potentially these women will not make enough milk ever they also mention which i think is very important to mention that if a woman has intolerable pain during feedings and most guidelines mm -hmm. like i think um the baby friendly does not talk about this we talk about maternal request but i like the fact mm. that the abm actually mentioned this because there are women who have extreme pain with breastfeeding and what are we doing to that woman by almost forcing her to keep putting the baby on the breast there may be mm. a solution that is part-time that we need to look at all the nuances and we need to make a plan for this day for the next day for the day after it's not just a plan of can you express yes or no right use your express breast milk it might be she can tolerate some expression or some pumping but she needs to use some formula temporarily. But tomorrow, her breasts will have changed. The volume in her breasts, the tissue, the how she feels that she's got used to it. And so then again, you make a new plan. Nothing is set in stone, particularly in these first few weeks. It really has to change. It's, you know, day by day, every 24 hours, like the breast itself changes. And I think it's good that they've mentioned that. However, this takes nuance. This takes looking. This takes talking to the woman. Um, there are some absolute clinical reasons when we wouldn't give babies um, breast milk. And that would be things like um, inborn errors of metabolism. That's not the word, is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think that is. Inborn errors con of ooh, congenital. Yeah. So we're looking at like um, female like ketonuria. PKU yeah, PKU, female ketonuria, that one, yeah. galactosemia. These are some very specific reasons when absolutely no breast milk Um or a, and a, and a very specialized formula needs to be used. So, and we also need to look at HIV. However, in countries where it is feasible and safe, and there is a whole acronym in mostly developed countries where it's affordable, feasible, safe, um, the alternative would be to not breastfeed and give formula milk. In countries where this is not safe with water, is not affordable, then we mm. are making sure that women are continuing to breastfeed. And again, there is support with that. There's also ways of giving express breast milk and and doing very quick pasteurization. Um, it's a big, big topic. So I'm just going to leave it there with that one. So what? So when we're looking at all these reasons, then what are the rates? Does this mean that there are high rates of supplementation, or how many babies end up getting supplemented in hospital? Because mm. we don't know what happens at home, do we? No. In hospital is what we're, I'm definitely going to answer you on. This is really interesting for me. Um, I mean, it's not interesting to anyone who works in a hospital in a way because you can probably imagine what I'm going to say. Okay, so if we look at rates, there's quite a wide variance in what's going on. 
So when we look at Australia and we look at the kind of the policies and the guidelines, um, they are estimating that it's around 15% currently in hospitals of babies that are being given formula milk supplementation in the first really 24 hours. And actually there was a study done that was looked at and the most common time was in the first 24 hours. However, in it, so hang on, that's formula. This is formula supplementation. That's formula supplementation. That's a lot. Well, it's going to get that more. That doesn't match what. Okay. Okay. Go on. And if we think about it, we're talking about maternity wards, not the NICU or the special care baby unit here as mm-hmm. well. And it is like in any guideline you look in every piece of research, it's in bold. Formula supplementation is not indicated in the clinically well term baby within the first 24 hours okay so my stats are about to go up so i started Mm -hmm. with what the australian guidelines say is the norm there was a a study in adelaide and i will link to these studies um and 45 percent of the mothers answered yes to the question was your baby given a bottle feed whilst in the postnatal ward what? The results are unsure what the reason was for these supplementary feeds. Yeah, but they're not going to hit all of these indicators. Yeah. 45% of women. And we're, they're in the hospital mostly for two days. M- most women, we're kicking them out. That's pretty good going, getting, getting a top up in there that quick. Yeah. We'll be right back. I just wanted to pop into your luggles and tell you about my brand spanking new podcast, The Feeding Couch. This podcast ain't just designed with pregnant women or new parents in mind, but also for all of us working in the space of birth work. This is the podcast where I hand the mic over to a different mom, dad, parent, or even grandparent to take us on their feeding journey. Every story matters. It's often through hearing others' experiences where we find our own inner knowledge, strength and courage. Listen in to hear the stories told of triumph, challenge, heartwarming, tear-jerking, fist-pumping and how we each deal with our venture into this new world emotionally, socially and physically. Whether you're a student, a newbie midwife, doula, lactation exam prepper, or just hungry for more knowledge, these stories will also give you a backstage pass to the global lactation clinic. Whether you're pregnant and seeking information or supporting those on their journey, I can't wait to see you on the couch with me soon. Oh, and a little favour, your reviews on Apple Podcasts mean the world. They're like magic beans that help spread the podcast out for those who need to hear it. Let's make this something amazing together. So then there was another Aussie study, and I'm going to look at some other studies from around the world, but I'm just starting with the Australian. This was a study back in 2011. 4,000 women, 23% of their infants had formula formula, formula supplementation in hospital. So they were at an increased chance if they were first-time mum, non-English speaking, their BMI was over 30 and they'd had an emergency cesarean section. These are all risk factors for having supplementary feeds. Yeah. Okay. In this study. In this study of 4,000 women, 23% were supplemented. Then I moved to Hong Kong and this was a study um, done on 1,200 babies 
82.5% supplemented with formula within five hours. <gasps> oh, I just need to do a little interjection here. I just realised during editing that I had said 82.5% of babies were given a formula supplement by five hours. Actually, what I should have quoted from the research is that by 48 hours after birth, 82.5% have been given a supplemental formula feed, but half of that total have been given the formula by five hours postpartum. So this, this is in Hong Kong. We have to think of the cultural norms that go on in different countries. And there are still mm. countries where colostrum is seen as kind of dirty or not yep. adequate enough. But it was more likely in this study if they were a baby who had been born by C-section, induction of labor, any assisted birth, epidural, if the baby had been resussed, um, and if they had a later initiation of skin-to-skin -skin contact or a shorter length of skin-to-skin -skin contact. But with those rates, it would make more sense to look at the babies that weren't supplemented yeah. and look at what factors <laughs> they should in common. extrapolate that because it's not a lot left, really, because, I mean, if you go back to our podcast on induction and looking at, you know, if, you, if you're doing things really in birth, if we're getting involved and we are, uh, it's not a physiological process, then it's quite likely that there's going to be some delay in this kind of physiological process of breastfeeding and there's yeah. some difficulties possibly however um that's five hours is pretty quick to diagnose the problem yeah so are they i mean but what i don't know is the, were they all being given a blood glucose test um within the first few hours and what we know is that baby's blood glucose is going to go down within that mm. first hour and maybe that's what's happening as well so you have to extrapolate but i want so then what's the overall breast feeding rates in Hong Kong though do these women bounce back and have you know is it just a cultural norm but yet breastfeeding look at your face I don't know the actual rates I'd <laughs> you have can... to look that up that's a good question because just thinking about and I worked in the UK in the northeast most women bottle fed mm -hmm. so most women would have had that to start with as formula. choice but then they weren't going on to they weren't going on to to breastfeed breastfeed whereas when i came to australia most women wanted to breastfeed yes. that was their choice it's and then they managed to start and then they all just fall off a cliff later on because of lack so of it's, support. it's really interesting the cultural differences yeah yeah and, the, and that's why it's so important to look at the context of what the, the research and what we're looking at and the populations that we're looking at because we're all different yeah completely completely i'm going to go to the u.s so we know that the, okay. the U.S. has a um, a high, a fairly high initiation rate of breastfeeding. So there's an intention to breastfeed is high. Mm. Um, in the U.S., this was 150 women. These were low income mothers. Seventy eight percent of these re received formula in hospital. And these were women who intended to breastfeed yes, or not? these women who intended to breastfeed and there was no clear medical reason mm. for 87% who received the supplementation. That's a shame. Yeah. But we know that it's a hugely medicalized birthing environment. Mm -hmm. However, how long were they in hospital? Sorry, that's my guinea fowl going off. I can't do anything about it. The rusty bike sound. Can you hear no, it? No, but I might be able to when I put my headphones on. 
<laughs> you won't be able to edit. Sounds like somebody riding on a rusty bike. That's what it sounds How do they like. Make that noise. I don't know. Sorry. It's all right. It's good. I can't hear it. I'm going to hear it later when I edit. It'd be great. <laughs> um, we also look at the US and mothers who had not attended prenatal breastfeeding classes were almost five times more likely to receive in-hospital formula supplementation than those who attended a mm. class. And then there was a recent study from last year in the US and this looked at 2,045 hospitals, which represented 70% of the hospitals that provide maternity care. Mm. And so these hospitals were responding to the questions from the authors. And they responded to the question that asked for the three most common reasons for infant formula supplementation. And the most common reasons reported by the hospital staff were Medical indication was 70%. Maternal request, uh, preferences or feelings was 55%. And lactation management issues was 51%. So the majority was a medical indication that was needed. Um, so, Well, but or was it? Well, as according to what the was, medical, medical indication set out that we talked about earlier. But what was interesting was when we look at the third category, so lactation management related issues, that's how it was categorized. This is 51 percent. Mm. The most frequent subcategory for this theme was the perceived low milk supply by the mother. And then second to that was concerns about infant hunger, which are very similar anyway. So infants not getting enough. Mm. Allegedly. Allegedly. This is a huge problem of. This is about education. So that brings me back to that, you know, women not having education early on. The other thing is, actually, if I can go back and go, going to go right back to the beginning in the, the guidelines that are mostly set out is that when it's maternal indication or maternal request, the guidelines will state that as midwives, we need to sit down with the mother at whatever state of the day that is, whether it's 2 a.m., Second day, first day, you know, not really in a state of full compass mentis. I'm wide awake and I can absorb information. And we are meant to sit down, provide them probably with a hospital booklet that says the risks of formula supplementation and explain this at that point in time. Now, in theory, yes, I've worked in this. I've done it. I've tried to explain this. But at 2 a.m., to explain to a baby who's cluster feeding because they've had a lovely long mm -hmm. sleep after birth and then they've just woken up and gone, oh, my God, where's my 24-hour feeding tube? Because it's been cut. I want to go on the boob. Do they still put newborn babies in the nursery in the US like they do in the movies? Um, I believe so. Yeah, they still have newborn nurseries. I went and saw some uh, a few years back. I was lucky enough to go. And um, I was just so gobsmacked that they still had them. So, yeah, we're separating mums and babies. We're having medicalized birth. We're probably not doing skin to skin. Maybe the first hour is being done, but how much skin to skin is happening on the postnatal ward? You know, that whole thing of, oh, well, the baby's dressed now and they're warm. I don't want to get them cold. Mm. But we know that this is the, the greatest helper for getting them to breastfeed. So basically, we need to be having a conversation that formula supplementation is going on way too much, but it's down to, uh, huge multifactorial reasons 
It, well, if you're basically setting up circumstances where the mother and baby, where the mother doesn't understand the baby's behavior yes. and you're creating circumstances where breastfeeding is not going to work. Yes. And then you're saying to the woman, you can formula feed, but formula is really bad. And this is all the bad things that it does. How is that woman going to feel? Yes, exactly. So you're in such a difficult position as a midwife or even a lactation consultant because you have to follow these guidelines that are set out or you're meant to follow these guidelines from whether you're a baby friendly hospital or not, or it's a, it's a it tends to be a breastfeeding policy actually, rather than a guideline, but giving this information feels like it's just giving guilt mm-hmm. and it's really difficult to, it's like trying to give someone a full whack of information in the middle of a contraction. Their brain is not able to process this. So we need to be having a conversation and doing this better and doing antenatal education better because how much education so- is on birth and how many hours do we spend on breastfeeding so what is the impact of giving formula so what this shows is that we actually still have a big problem in the hospital postnatal setting despite many efforts towards providing better breastfeeding support and also the bfhi or baby friendly health initiative guidelines and infrastructure that's been out for many years now. Far too many hospitals are giving a formula supplement out. Um, and I get it. It's it's not that easy. The staffing is often really low on postnatal wards, particularly. Breastfeeding education is definitely not the number one priority, as much as I would love it to be. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there is a huge lack of understanding for the normal physiology of lactation that needs to happen in order for women to achieve adequate milk volumes. Mm -hmm. So there is this kind of lack of knowledge of the impact of what giving this supplement is going to have on a future breastfeed. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just really leaving women hanging. Um, And we know that among women who want to breastfeed, Formula supplementation in hospital is associated with an increased chance of breastfeeding cessation. The more top-ups they're given, the increase the chance or the the chances then increased that women will not be fully breastfeeding at 30 to 60 days postpartum. Mm. A fundamental is that we're undermining that woman's confidence. They talk about it all the time. Mm -hmm. We plant that seed of doubt. Okay, I'm not good enough. And perhaps she's also had a birth that hasn't gone according to plan in terms of epidural that's ended with a a forceps and blah, 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 blah. Oh, I can't give birth. Mm -hmm. Now my body can't produce enough milk for my baby. Now, for some women, they might say, fine, I understand the situation. This is just a one off. This is going to help my baby um, sleep for a bit for whatever the reason is. I need this. I need some sleep. And then I'm going to get myself back on track. We need to understand is if we're if we're planting that seed of doubt and confidence, we also need to understand there's other confounding factors. Like we say, this if we're giving formula and it depends on the volumes, also can depend on how we give the formula, which we'll come to. Um, if we stuff this baby up and they've got this small tummy, but it's incredibly stretchy, so they will 
possibly take 20 mils, 30 mils if it's tried to be given? And how many hospitals have you been in where they have got the 90 mil ready-made formula and just put a teat on the top Mm -hmm. and let the baby take whatever they want? Then the baby vomits Mm -hmm. and the baby's maybe taking Mm -hmm. 50 mils, vomited 20, but it's tiny tummy, which is meant to hold maybe on day one, five, 11 mils and will stretch. But the breast is not producing 30 mils at this stage. So the baby's then going to come back and feed on this breast that's probably still producing teaspoon of milk and not be satisfied. So we're in this cycle of then doubt. How does the mum believe that she's got enough milk? The other thing that happens... Can I ask you a slightly off-topic question? It's not, it's on topic. So, you know when... Make your mind up. Don't look so on topic. Cut this, leave it in. <laughs> well, it's kind of... If I look at it, you're just saying that, you know, you've crammed these babies' bellies full. I've seen it. You cram these babies' bellies baby's bellies full like stretching them right have you noticed because i haven't noticed this with breastfed babies but when you give huge feeds of formula you and the baby's sleeping and it goes like that yeah is that is that because they're stuffed because they look like that and their eyes flip are you talking about when they're feeding it looks no, afterwards. Oh, yeah, when, when they're, they're sleeping and they've got like no, but the breastfed babies don't do that. I've just forgotten that breastfed babies do that. Breastfed babies make those noises, and they have a complete like uh, drunk, but probably not in the first few days because it's colostrum and it's small volumes, and it's not there really as a nutrition. It's like this immunization. But well, maybe that's where I'm getting the confusion is because in those first few days you don't see that with a breastfed baby because they're not getting massive volumes usually they're not getting massive volumes going, eh, eh. No. <laughs> they do make the eh, sleep they do eh. fall asleep though but they want to wake up really bloody frequently mostly um particularly mm. in that second 24 hours Woo, mama they just want to feed but yeah when the milk is larger in volume and has come in they are totally milk drunk just like that full and all the noises, I love. Them. Yeah, but it's the, it's the sound that they make. Yeah, I love those sounds. Yeah, the breastfed babies make those sounds. You can get loads of comments now. Why can't people I remember? Me, people that? are going to send me like recordings of their baby <laughs> sleeping now. <laughs> Please send them to Rachel, not to me. I know that these <laughs> sounds happen. <laughs> Brilliant. I can't, I can't even remember my babies making those sounds. Oh. Mm. Hmm. Yes, the big sounds with this particular like mm, mm, grumbly mm, sound. Like they're trying to digest. Yes. And I think some of it might be the constipation yes. as well. I mean, there are those get, noises of... If I babies get constipated and then go... Yeah, totally. Yes. Yes, I know right, those so I noises that you're talking kind of about. The same. Right. Um, but the poo-poos are different. Definitely. They're not as watery. Yes. They're not Very as easy different. to pass. They're like nuggets sometimes nuggets they're not like squids yeah they're not like complete you know pumpkin soup with a bit of whole grain mustard mixed in mm. Mm. lovely sorry i took you off topic there back to poops back, we, uh, we weren't even talking poops. about poops i know what we're we talking about oh, we're then? talking about impact maternal confidence is one the other thing is that if you have a baby that is then You know, in this phase where we're naturally designed to feed bloody frequently and 
we suddenly stuff ourselves up and we have like, you know, three Christmas dinners for a non-medical reason, then we need to be thinking about, okay, well, this baby is now sleeping, safe, um, okay, but they're probably going to sleep for four hours, maybe six. What's happening with the breasts? Because this is what we Mm. forget. We don't think, oh, shit, maybe we need to stimulate the mother's breasts in the meantime. And this is where we start this kind of, not a cascade of intervention like in birth, but like a cascade of potential things that can happen. We get this lack of stimulation and we're not having these um, spikes of prolactin after the the, the suckling, um, which is then. But it's like birth is we don't acknowledge that the mother and the baby are actually one. Yeah like a, a dyad that they actually rely on each other for the, their physiology to work. Completely. The mother relies on the baby for the placenta to come out. The baby, the mother relies on the baby to stimulate her breast to get the breast milk. The baby relies on the mother to make the breast milk. Is that- and then when we interfere with that and we don't, we don't think about the other physiological goings on that need to continue. Mm then we're kind of skipping things, we're missing things. And this is what can lead to problems further on down the track because really we're switching on Mm. this factory in those first three days. We're coming in, we're turning on all the lights. We need to get these milk-making cells firing so that, you know, she wakes up like Dolly Parton uh, before 72 hours because we know that Mm. if mothers are milk's coming in or the volume's increasing – after 72 hours, we've got more risk factors of women not being able to make enough milk. And that's not just perceived low milk. We've talked about this in the low milk supply episode. Mm. Um, but when we are having what we see from the literature is that any in-hospital formula is associated with a decreased duration of breastfeeding. And the other thing is that if you've got low confidence levels in with the mother's feeling lack of confidence it's much easier for her to then be influenced by other external things. If she's in a country where that bag that she goes home with contains a sachet of formula or she goes to a, or a partner goes to a pharmacy saying, oh, the baby's feeding too frequently and they give you a free sample or say, yeah, you probably do need some formula for a time being. She's much more likely to doubt her own abilities and start using that. And so when it's seen as a norm and okay, and we just sort of, ah, your baby's feeding loads and it's not a medical indication and we start to use formula willy nilly. Well, that's, that's like saying, well, this is normal and this is okay at this stage. Mm. And you haven't got enough now. That's the other thing. You haven't got enough now, but you'll make it later. And actually that's when I want to scream and go, no, this is not the physiology. This is not how it works. Mm -hmm. Everything needs to be switched on and firing on all cylinders right away. We've got two to four weeks to really make a full milk supply. If If we medically, for whatever reason, need to use a formula supplementation, valid, totally valid. And even if that is real pain, maternal request, that can be a medical reason. It can be a mental health reason. This mother is Mm -hmm. exhausted. However, what we need to do is then talk about how we're going to keep stimulating the breast so that at three weeks, five weeks, six weeks down the track, she doesn't sit there crying going, why did no one tell me? I didn't know this would impact so much on my milk supply. I just wanted to feed. Mm. That's that. I don't know what question I'm on there. 
can't see with my glasses. Getting a new prescription. Right. So if you if you're going to top up, there's a re- a good reason to, and that's the decision. Is there a better method to use? Yeah. This is. I wanted you to ask me this question because. <laughs> thank you for asking. <laughs> um, <laughs> there isn't actually an optimal method to top up in any of the literature. And we have these clear defined um, ways and I stick by them as well. Like the best way is to not use a bottle or a teat. And the reason for that mm, is... Because of the teat confusion. Teat confusion. I mean, the research with that's really varying and it's tricky because, you know, I've seen babies and they've had one one bottle and teat in their mouth and then they are just refusing to go back on the breast and that's probably because it's really early on there's not milk flowing as quick as it comes out of a teat a teat is made of silicon or plastic it's a different shape it feels harder maybe this mum's a mum who's got um not as hugely pointy nipples as the teat is she's got more flatter Mm. nipples so those are the dynamics as well with teats like how different is that teat compared to her nipple and breast how fast does her milk flow and i've had babies who are like just refusing the breast and then you're going down the whole thing of okay shaping the breast supporting her different methods lots of skin to skin breast crawl and then maybe we're even going down the nipple shield route to get her back like a transition from the bottle to the nipple shield on the breast then we have Mm -hmm. to transition back to the breast and it's a palaver however it can be done i have also seen babies that have gone from both however Mm -hmm. Would I start with a bottle and a teat in a baby's mouth in this early stage? Hell no. God, no. I would try and use um, a supply line device or one I had made, which is where you're having the extra milk um, or express breast milk or formula, whichever you need, with a, we use a nasogastric tube, a thin gauge Mm -hmm. five, and then we would either tape that to the nipple if the baby's able to breastfeed or onto a finger and then the baby can suck and pause and take the milk in their own pace but that's if you've got probably bigger yeah. volumes if you're giving you know one two three mils of maybe colostrum or formula mm-hmm. you're probably going to use a syringe um or you might use a cup feed yeah and i like in the uk cup feeding is just where well, it was when i was working in the uk just done it was simple. I learned it as a student. Mm-hmm. I did it as a midwife. No qualms. Yeah. No questions asked. However, I moved to Australia and it was like, cup feeding. <laughs> Just like this horrendous thing. Of, <laughs> and I'd gone in as a lactation consultant. I did not expect that res, um, reaction from people. But it was like this <laughs> ultimate fear of cups. Like, no, not the cup, please. Um <laughs> So it was mostly syringe feeding. I'm quite a fan of a cup, to be honest. I don't, you know, there's a bit of research that show that a lot is lost. I think when you feel skilled with it, and it's a bit like we've talked in in other podcasts about using pinards and learning to um, work with them. (laughs) And it's one of those things where at first you go, oh, my God, this is just really bloody hard. And then it just takes that practice. And then you're just like, this is super easy. And then you feel so confident that you you have that confidence. You can easily teach the mom or the parent to do that and feed. Mm. So, but I think there is no optimal 
supplemental feeding device that has been identified and it's going to vary from one infant to the other and the problem is that as a lactation consultant I can't go oh this infant's going to have a problem with this or with that and also they can get so it comes back anything. to nuance doesn't it and it comes back to holistic assessment nuance holistic assessment always that's your our entire jobs as midwives as lactation consultants as birth supporters and postnatal breastfeeding supporters as well yep but it should be nobody should be doing recipe book there isn't a recipe is it Support. because it's it's human I physiology i mean the only thing i, I will know, say is like if you're using a bottle and a teat then paste feeding is important to be teaching and to be looking at so that's the positioning of the baby and the positioning of the bottle so that we get well, not paste as in paste out of it like not like copy paste, paste. No, oh, and not making the formula so thick that it's a paste. <laughs> oh, please, God, no! Paste with a C. Is that right? I, I haven't heard it. I haven't heard that term before. <laughs> paste feeding. Paste, as in you're pacing yourself. Yeah, yeah, I get it now. Okay. I just hadn't. I've never heard of that term. Okay, so yeah, it's a Thank method God. that can help support it if we need to use it. But I would go for other methods first. Spoon. That's the other thing I didn't mention. But yeah. All right, so there's our methods. We probably should talk about what happens at home because we talked about it in the hospital. All right, well, I, I, well, I want you to tell me about because just because I quite like the term, so I want to say it: <laughs> the top-up trap. Yeah. Now this annoys some people. This term. So. Um, oh. Uh, okay. Sorry, everyone. No, I quite like the term because it sounds good. I mean, I've heard Not that, but it it's, it's a. It is a. I think it's a good term in terms of it It makes us think, okay, hold on, what do you mean by trap? What's what's going on here? So it goes back to this seed of doubt. When we look at mm. the reasons that women have given for stopping breastfeeding, the biggest is low milk supply or perceived low milk supply. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this. What will often happen is you know, there's external influences from friends, in-laws, parents um, saying, mm, that baby's so hungry. Oh, you're feeding that baby again. And this lack of understanding of how <laughs> blooming frequently they feed and how blooming normal it is because, you know, mm -hmm. we just want to be with our mums and we want to be in contact with the people who love us and we want to be in skin to skin. And what goes with that often is this lovely smell of milk. And I want to feed and it's highly digestible. Mm. So they feed frequently. But if we are seeing these patterns and we are the first one in our family to feed, then every two hours probably feels like a ridiculous amount. And this baby should be behaving ha -ha, like mm -hmm. a good ha -ha, baby mm -hmm. and feeding every four hours. So it can be really tempting. You see adverts. We're not meant to be seeing adverts that are um, designed for under six months, but there's loads of subliminal ways of making you believe that mm. formula is allowed to be advertised for babies under six months. However, that's another, that's a whole nother topic. We'll get someone in for mm. that. Um, and then, but then when you give the, so if, if you don't understand that that's normal, so you're perceiving that it's because your baby's hungry because it's misbehaving yes. rather than it's behaving exactly as babies are meant to, then you give the formula because you're exhausted and somebody probably gives you a, yeah. goes out and gets you one 
like mother-in-laws, etc. And then you feed the baby and then the baby sleeps. I know. For four hours or six, and you go, Oh my god, they were really hungry. Oh, exactly. And then you sleep and you think, Oh my god, they're gonna sleep. And what does that make you feel? Crap, absolute crap, which rhymes with trap. Yeah, it's, it's a top up crap trap. It's a top up crap trap. Crap trap. <laughs> it is, it's a crappy trap because you're lulled into this false sense of reality of. You thought you were doing so well. Someone then gives a top up of whatever amount. The baby will invariably feed because it has to digest formula in a different way and it takes longer and it does sleep. And they make these lovely yummy noises and you think, oh, my God, my baby is finally happy. I've been starving my baby. So we have all of this doubt and it is then just emphasized, made massive. And so what do we do? One, we feel shit. Two, we go and get some sleep because we probably need it, but we might sleep just through that kind of window of when we normally would be feeding. So the body goes, ah, mm-hmm. you didn't, you didn't want to do a feed then. Okay. I'll just remember. And then you, you don't, you carry on breastfeeding for the rest of the day. And then you sort of get to that tricky time at night, five till 10 PM, ring a bell at all where they just feed constantly. Mm-hmm. And you think, shit, I don't have enough milk anymore. Okay. Look, last night it worked really well. I'm just going to give another formula it's causing no problems whatsoever you give the formula they sleep for another four hours and you go and get some sleep and you still don't do any you miss a feed so they wake up a bit later whereas they would have had a feed and your body goes oh Mm -hmm. you don't want that feed anymore aha well it takes a huge amount of my energy to be making milk in your body so I'm not going to waste it because I'm a human and we've got other things to do so Then by the third or the fourth night, your body goes, right, you're weaning. Okay, so I'm going to stop that feed. And then what happens is your milk supply just goes down a little bit. And then you might carry on breastfeeding. And then, but then at 11 a.m., the baby starts feeding really frequently. And you think, huh, maybe I really don't have enough milk. So you add in another formula. And this is where the trap starts. And then what happens is after a few days, your milk supply reduces again. And what's happening is the milk supply that you make is reducing and the volume of formula that you feel like you need to be giving is increasing. And actually what's happening is that the more of the supplement or the more of the alternative milk that we're giving, the less the baby is stimulating the breast. The breasts are incredibly clever, as is our bodies, and the body's going, oh, you're trying to wean your baby. And so it reduces your milk supply. And then what does that do? That then reinforces your knowledge that I didn't make enough milk. Yeah. Hence the trap. There is a way out of the trap. It's not a crap trap forever. But... It needs some help and it and you just need some support. There's a trap door. There's a trap door and you can open it and you can go, do you know what? Actually, physiologically, I just need to stimulate me boobs more. And um, it's not just that. It can be really quite tricky and you can need support from a lactation consultant or a really good breastfeeding supporter, depending on where you're at within the trap. But they're going to bring you the mm-hmm. ladder. You're going to be able to climb out and get out of that trap pretty quick. Because it can be a really horrible place to be of self-doubt and then being reinforced every time you give that extra food that you're not good enough. And it's rubbish and we need to stop this and we need to get more information out there so that because there are 
thousands and millions of women that are stuck in this trap. And then it's a bit like if birth goes tits up. Sorry, I shouldn't say tits up, should I? If birth. I quite like that term. If if things go tits up and we're at the end of birth and we go, thank God they saved my baby's life. But actually it was because we augmented and induced and we started mm-hmm. this cascade of intervention. And then we in the system caused this outcome where we needed an emergency cesarean section. Everyone was in hyperdrive and panic. It's a bit like this. This has been caused by the subliminal messages that you're not good enough and you can't make enough for your baby and the lack of support when actually we can nip this in the bud and make it turn into a situation where a woman goes, oh my God, actually I am good enough. I can make milk. I just need to have the right information and I'm not getting it right now. And so that's where the trap is. Because women's bodies aren't broken, but that's the underlying message. They're not broken and there's things that can be done, but it's having a bit of knowledge that it's it's really difficult. I mean, how much knowledge can you bloody have and prepare for? But well, you, you can't. Ha- you don't have to have a degree to. You definitely don't. That's what. That's why I talk about in my book that it's about cultivating self trust to trust yourself, yeah. trust. And even if that means that doesn't mean trust birth or trust that you can definitely do the things, trust yeah. that you will know if you can't, you'll know if you need help. Yeah, that's it. And and seek help from the right people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's probably all I've got to say about that. On top ups and traps and craps and top up and trap crap trap craps and trap doors. Yeah, trap doors. Let's get out of the trap doors. <laughs> I want to open all those trap doors all over the world so we can get this message out. And I mean yeah, that's it. Really? Can you remember that cartoon, that animation oh, thing? Kids used to watch it. Stay away from that trap, trap door. Oh, oh yeah, wasn't it Ducktacular? No, that was someone else. That was it something was a else. Big blob type thing, big blobs? blue blob theory blob thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> love that. You're gonna have to find a picture of the the monster who was telling you to stay away from the trap door. Or he might have lived in the trapdoor. I can't remember now. Let's go and watch a YouTube a while back. A YouTube cartoon. Great. It'll be there. Reduce search. Of course it will. Now, just my algorithms that are mucked up by the things I have to look up on YouTube from this podcast. Oh, mine's completely confused about what I am. Can't decide if I'm a menopausal woman who's pissing myself or whether I'm, you know, having a baby so they need to sell baby <laughs> things to me. <laughs> Or whether they need to uh, get like dating things for um, a dating app that just has policemen in it. Wow. Like, where's that come from? Is that a real thing? Yes, that's a real thing. What, just policemen? Yes. Well, probably police officers. I don't know, but I, get, I was getting pictures of men. But it's just police. Is there one for like firemen, fire officers? Probably. Or... Um, is there like because there was? Do you remember those blue light discos? Like for yes, yeah. they still happen. They still happen. I bet they do. I bet they were great fun. I never went to one. Yeah. I was a bit jealous. Now needs time. Oh, brills. Oh, memories, man. Memories. Right. Maybe we should stop. Oh God, we need to go before we stop singing. Exactly. You'll get shitty reviews. What have you been having reports about our singing? That's bad. <laughs> don't send them to me. I don't want to hear. <laughs> oh, thank you for being with me today talking about this that's a pleasure 
I can hear my dinner being made now. No, that's always the key for us. I need to turn the fan on because I'm going to die of sweat. Right. She's got to put the fan on, ladies and gentlemen, and um, probably take some more clothes off. Well, that sounds really naughty. I'm going before we get in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Goodbye. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We've got plenty more for you. So get on the socials, start sharing and pop on over to your podcast hoster to leave us a review and a comment. Because you know what I'm going to say? This is what gets more people listening. More people listening means more positive change. And that's what we all want, ain't it? Both Rachel and I have been busy over the break creating other content for your listening ears and learning eyes. So if you haven't already, pop on over to our websites to see what's happening. Rachel is in full flow with two online courses available for you, as well as her collective. Be sure to check this out. I'm still fine tuning at this stage, but we'll keep you posted as soon as my lactation and breastfeeding, the fundamentals course drops. This is the course for you if you have ever felt you needed just that extra bit of help with your breastfeeding knowledge in order to provide good support to those in your care. And this course is also for you if you previously thought breastfeeding was boring. It's not. And this course won't be either, I can tell you. All the details will be coming over the next weeks. So sign up to my email list now so you're in the loop. I wanted to say a huge thank you to you guys for sticking with us over this break for all the beautiful messages you've sent me. I love them and I'm blooming grateful. So all I've got to say now is I'll see you next time. And here's the bloopers. You and the baby sleeping and it goes, hmm, 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 like that. Yeah. Wondering which of my courses is for you? Breastfeeding and lactation, the fundamentals has been designed for everyone working in the birthing field or those on their journey to becoming breastfeeding specialists or IBCLCs. This course gives you seven hours of CPD and is packed with reflective learning, case studies and some pretty tough at times quizzes to make sure this stuff sticks. It also means you can meet me monthly in my live Q&A. This is my course that I hope will fill in the gaps that traditional breastfeeding education has left out. I want you completing this, feeling confident to support any breastfeeding or lactation challenge of those in your care. But wait, I have another course called The Feeding Couch. Who's this for? Currently, around 80 to 96% of women decide to breastfeed during their pregnancy, but by just eight weeks after birth, a third to almost 50% of those women have stopped breastfeeding. And of those women who stopped, 80% say they stopped breastfeeding before they wanted to. Learning about breastfeeding during pregnancy has been shown to improve breastfeeding self-confidence and improve the rate of exclusive breastfeeding in the short and the long term. I believe every mum should be able to choose how she wants to feed her baby and for how long. Knowledge is power. 
That's why I created The Feeding Couch, designed to be watched during pregnancy or for new mums and parents who may be struggling right now with breastfeeding. The content is in step-by-step, binge-worthy whilst pregnant or for those most tired of days postpartum. Totally easy to find exactly what you need and dip in and out when you need a breastfeeding answer quickly. And for you, beautiful podcast listener, there is a 10% discount off both courses when you use the code POD10, that's P-O-D-10, at checkout. To find out more, hop on over to my website, katiejames.site, and have a look at the incredible content waiting for your lucky peepers. (music) 